Hey, it's Phil Simon. My new book is out now. It is called The Nine, The Tectonic Forces Reshaping the Workplace. It's my best work to date, and I hope that you'll check it out. Thanks. And I'm not going to leave him home alone with all this J-U-I-C-E around. I can spell, Mom. You spell juice. Oh, you're so brilliant. Let's see you find it. Episode 8, Firebrand Dr. Mary Donahoe of the Digital Wellness Center joins me to talk about the intersection of stress, collaboration, and technology. Oh, and Bubble Baths and Diana Ross, I'm not kidding, come up during our lively chat. Let's get it on! Mary, where does this pod find you? I am in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, on a cold, rainy Monday afternoon, if you can believe it. But for Toronto in November, it's not that cold. I got, before I got soaking wet, I got a good run in today. I don't know how you do it. I'm looking at your bio and <laughs> I don't know where to begin. I mean, I, Diana Ross, how does that happen? Oh, yeah. That's a Chardonnay moment, buddy. That's, that was definitely a Chardonnay moment. That was all it was. <laughs> I was in the audience and she picked me. And it was my best friend's birthday. So that was like, oh, when we went to go see Aretha Franklin, she was like, if she pulls you up on stage, I'm out of here. <laughs> so yeah, I was like a Supreme for all of five songs. And I knew all the moves because I grew up outside of Detroit. And I loved Diana Ross. You've lived about six different lives. Um, yeah. your, new, your new book is called Message Received. And we were joking earlier about how your book is the antithesis of my book because they're both about <laughs> communication, yet my book is called Message Not Received. Now, when I was diving into your book, and to me, collaboration and communication are such a rich topics and such complementary topics. Uh, one thing that I haven't done in my books nearly as well as you is to break down the generational differences. Um, I could talk for hours about how something that was intuitive to me, people older than me didn't get and vice versa. And now when I see people sending all these emojis, which I've warmed up to, especially in Slack or Teams or Zoom, <laughs> I go, really, you, you can't spell out the word R? You want me to translate this? You know I'm your professor. Aren't we supposed to be kind of professionals? So talk to me about generational stuff. Generational stuff is probably the most misunderstood topic today. What people don't realize is generations on technology is based in education. And Phil, I think that's most important for people to understand. I take educational science and I take the science of digital psychology and I put the two together because what I found in my life is if you can't understand each other on technology, you can't understand each other and you can't collaborate and you're wasting time getting stressed out. And the more stressed you get, the less effective you are as a communicator. And I don't know about you, but I love Warren Buffett. Like I have a little financial crush on Warren Buffett. I have to be honest, kind of do, because he's so simple. And he says, if you can be a great communicator, you can increase your net worth by 50%. So I just thought, well, we really have to clarify this communication. And we're all stressed out during the pandemic. So what I did, as you know, about five or six years ago, if you've read the book, based on Jabba Floyd at Walmart and my hero, Michael Camp at Walmart, Walmart has always been amazing to me as a client, a vendor. 
was they challenged me to figure out this generational thing. And that's how I got started on all of it. Hmm. Uh, we could talk a lot about stories. I don't know if you know Scott Galloway out of NYU. He's a bit of a mm. rock star. He's got some books out. He talks just about- Just a bit how, of a rock star. Just a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Uh, <laughs> when I rock my black glasses, I can actually pull off a, a decent Galloway no uh, doppelganger. I can't. Uh, but he's a lot. he's a lot smarter than I am. But he talks about how- the companies are becoming storytellers. That's a core competency, whether Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk for Tesla, being able to sell Wall Street on a story can result in outsized gains. Think numbers that don't remotely justify your stock price by traditional metrics. You're right about Buffett, very simple. And not just in terms of the way he approaches things. I think his house is only something like $400,000. And what is he worth, $70 billion or something like that? It's an insane amount. I don't I- Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about storytelling, because I'm with you, and I was taking notes as you were talking. You've almost got these three things in concert, collaboration, stress, and tech. And I don't know which way the arrows go, probably all the directions, right? Well, I think you have to understand that they do go in all directions, but let's just start out with collaboration. And it's on a platform of tech. So right now we're in lockdown. We're all stuck in our houses. We're trying to connect with each other. We're trying to connect with families. We're trying to connect on Zoom. And so that is collaboration. And collaboration by its very nature is based on body language, social cues. But we don't know them digitally. Like I can see you nodding your head and I think that's great. But really, do I see the rest of what you're doing? Do I see you writing stuff? Do I understand what you're saying? Oh, you're having a little dance like a little Diana. But then I kind of think, oh, but his eyes are going in the wrong way and his mouth isn't doing this. And your brain is trying to interpret all these things I see from Phil. And I don't have a way of categorizing it. And when you get to storytelling and we talk about brilliant professors and we talk about um, Jeff Bezos, we talk about Elon Musk, but let's let's even go back in time and look at Rockefeller and Carnegie and some of those guys that built bazillion dollar fortunes as well. Is they told a story by using words simply that resonate with people. When we collaborate, we are telling a story, either a story of a work in progress, either a story of a work done, either a story of perhaps a status of a story. But that's how we tell stories in every day. We're not Elon Musk. I am definitely not Jeff Bezos. I'm not any of those people. But I can write an email so that you understand it. I can be on teams with you so that you feel what I'm talking about. You will get me because I know how to go back to the digital look for the social cues, look for the behavioral cues, categorize them appropriately, allows me to collaborate more effectively, which allows me to tell stories that help the company make money. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're talking about a virtuous cycle. And I think it was Einstein who said, if you can't explain something clearly, then you don't understand it well enough. (laughs) You ever see some movie called The Smartest Guys in the Room about Enron? I started watching it, yes. Okay, and there's a good book too by Bethany McLean and I forget the other guy who co-wrote it with her, but um, she was asking very simple questions of how Enron makes money and they couldn't answer her. And they just dismissed her, right? There was some sexism involved and all that, but she was right. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. 
Um, so if you can't explain what you're doing, how can you collaborate? But, and that's the problem. Right now, I'm hearing the biggest problems. Like I, I'm, our, as you, starting on my second book, but I'm hearing the biggest problems from employers is, okay, for me, <laughs> hey, little steps, little steps, um, is, you know, they're doing engagement surveys and they're finding out people aren't engaged. They're finding out that supervisors haven't connected with their employees for some time. They're finding that, you know, on the other hand, certain people are thriving in this pandemic. So what is happening? What is the difference? That's where if we come back to storytelling, we all have to reset our minds. We've only been communicating this way, Phil, since 2007. And that was a smartphone. And then it began to change. And the stress, as I point out in the book, correlates exactly stress at work and the use of the smartphone in the 24-7 workday correlates. And when we start to look at this correlation, what we begin to see is we all assume we're great communicators. Like it's something we're born with. We learn communication. We learn habits by watching other people or while we're back, back to educational science in school. But communication is a learned behavior. It's not an assumed behavior. And you have to teach that mammalian brain of yours just over your ears, that part of your brain, how to see new patterns in the data you get every day, in texts, in emails, collaborating. Like There's different ways you know when someone is disengaging from a meeting by just the very nature of how you host a meeting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's easy to fake it online. I was reading a couple months ago about how a guy had created an artificial intelligence for Zoom calls. So it looked like his head was nodding. Did you hear about this? Yeah. And I'm just thinking to myself, that's both brilliant and kind of disturbing at the same time, because you can be in a meeting and mentally not there, but maybe you're good at faking it. On Zoom, you have a harder time maybe doing that because you have to be, your head needs to be in the screen, but what if it didn't? Well, you're also seeing students do that with teachers, Phil. Mm. So kids have programmed this so that their teachers think they're online and they're doing things, but they've used just basic code mm. and they've programmed and then they're out doing other things, but everybody thinks they're online doing school. I thought it was a hilarious story. I'm sure I read it in the New York times or something like that. And I was reading, I was just thinking, yeah, so we really need to bring these teachers attentions back to patterns that capture these kids attention that they aren't prepared for. Let's talk a little bit about technology in the classroom. I, for years, had urged my former employer, Arizona State, and the professors in the information systems department, right, folks that would, you'd think, be a little bit more tech savvy than <laughs> philosophy or history professors. And a lot of them would resist me, right? I have my course set up exactly the way I want it. I've done it over the last 12 years. Don't talk to me about Slack or Zoom or Microsoft Teams. And it would bother me because in part we were had with better tools, but also as professors, our job was to teach students the tools they use when they graduated and they weren't going to use canvas or blackboard, you know, unless they went back to grad school, but they would use Slack or teams or zoom or something like that. I, why won't more of the professors jump on board with that? I mean, I think learning keeps you young and you have such a youthful spirit about you and you read all the time and push yourself. I just, I, 
I would hate to live with, no, this is the way I work. I don't, everything else goes to the side. Sometimes when um, we've both work in academia, we've, I'm, I'm going to go back and teach a course in academia and I'm teaching it on teams. Thank you very much. And we get stuck in our ways as professor. Life is good. When you have an outline, you have a syllabus, you stand in front of the class, you do your thing, you have to get the occasional grant. Eh. But then you see those amazing professors, like for me, you know, Dr. Michael, Gil- Michael Gilbert or, or um, Diana Maticelli at the University of Windsor or, um, you know, Professor Pam, like all of these people that were constantly learning, constantly pushing. And I am what I am today because of my professors in grad school and my professors in undergraduate. And none of them would have or have refused to use new technology. My gosh, Pam is on, on, um, Pam Eddy is on LinkedIn. She's doing virtual tours with students. She's doing everything. Michael Gilbert is teaching virtually. They just like you're, they're killing it because they know that the value of education is in the worth the student finds of in the teaching. Mm-hmm. My daughter was recently exposed to a professor that, like, this is how we talk to the computer. Mm-hmm. She got to be taught by a forehead. And it was just like when she went into a classroom, and I was teaching for this university at the time. Um, of course, my daughter, who has a different last name than mine, said, I'm not allowed to tell anyone. She went into her very first classroom. True story, when we're talking about professors and technology and the problem of tenure, which should be abolished, by the way, but that's a whole different podcast. And in comes this woman who's older than her grandmother with a buggy behind her. Here's my lovely little, um, the time she was 18, 19, 18 in sitting in a classroom of 200 kids and somebody comes in, you know, those buggies on wheels, like you take it to the grocery store. This is what she's carrying. And she's, you know, in the class. And she says to all of them, well, let's get started with the overhead. 200 young faces start blankly. And they all go to their phone and they're starting to go to the app store to look for overhead. They're like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is my daughter telling us this story months later. And then she says, nobody can find it. And she says, we didn't know what to do. And she's talking about the overhead and the man's got to come in for the overhead. And then she said, mommy, I had an idea. I looked overhead and there was nothing there. So now she's like, ah, this is her first week of university, her first freaking week. And a man comes in and he fix the overhead. And Jaya says, all it was, was a box with a light. And she put on plastic paper. And I said, what did you do, baby? She said, oh, I quit. Mm-hmm. Like I was out. She found another course. She was gone. Now. When we start talking about school and technology, that's a problem because already she's disengaged in her first year. I, as a parent, am now questioning, why am I giving money to a university with somebody teaching the way I was taught 
and you know, I'm significantly older than my daughter. And then you start to take that analogy and you go into the workplace. Mm. So we have Gen Zs and millennials who are so clearly clever on Slack, on Teams, on all of these other. They just need to know the communications process. They just need to know what the rules are and to outline the rules. It's people like me who are Gen Xers who are saying, no, no, no. I want to revise this PowerPoint 17 times and you send me every iteration instead of using the technology that's out there because we like to see that productivity. If we're on version 17 of a PowerPoint, that means that's productive. What we need to rethink, and going back to education again, do you know when Harvard opened and John Adams was there, Phil, do you know how education was dealt with? He had six mentors, and they taught him the classics. And then they sent, then not, but soon to be, President Adams out into the force, out into the workforce. And he chose to be a lawyer. So he did all kinds of things as a lawyer and he, defend, he defended people. He had an amazing case. If you read David McCullough's story on it, he defended a black man and I believe got him off. It was an insanely fantastic story. But, you know, McCullough tells these amazing stories. And he goes back to Harvard. And you know what they test him on? What he learned and how he applied it. But we had to change that by the time the bureaucracies came in 1912 for the industrial age. Well, guess what? We're moving into a more enlightened age now, universities. We still need kids to get together. We still need them to socialize. We still need them to have fun and be silly. But we can also offer really great in-depth teaching through technology, just like we can use and create amazingly connected and collaborative workplaces when we're each working from our home. We just have to know the behavioral cues, the, excuse me, the, the body language, um, the social cues, all of those things, and get everybody on the same, um, on the same wavelength. Yeah. Zoom, I would argue, is better than nothing, oh, right? Yeah. But if I'm teaching, so I did a guest lecture at McGill a couple of weeks ago on a book on big data. And to your point, even with the students who had their cameras enabled, I could barely pick up on any cues because we had a seven by seven grid, right? And I don't have the best division in the world, but I don't have the worst. So, and I know that there are startups working on this problem, right? Never waste a good crisis. I'm of the opinion that things <laughs> won't go back to the way they were. And there may be this opportunity for, uh, for higher ed to increase their class sizes because for certain things like a lecture, do you really need to be in per there in person versus if you're doing more of a collaborative session, right? Whether you're coding or doing class exercises or active learning, whatever. Um, so I, I would hope that we can do better than this. Again, Zoom is better than nothing, but I, I don't think it's the be all and the end all. And if I were paying forty or fifty thousand dollars a year for my kid to go to Zoom University, I'd say, what? Come again? Uh -huh. Well. One of the cool technologies that I was introduced to by my friend Jaron at Microsoft, he's the father of artificial or um, AR, so um, virtual reality. And oh, VR, sorry. Here? Yeah. Nice. He came up with these cool things that looks like students sitting in a, um, in a lecture hall. Oh, is this and together? Can see each yeah. I just love it. I loved it because it reduced stress right away. I'm, I said, I told you I was going to go back and teach a class at my alma mater this, this semester, the next semester in January. 
I'll need you to come as a guest lecturer, FYI. We're Done. already going to be help get having you come on. I love it. And um, I, you know, what I'm seeing is, as you said, never waste a good crisis. Maybe we can have more of that, but we still need people like people. We're humans at our core. We need other humans. So we're going to have to build that in as well. Fun fact, Zoom during Zoomtopia's conference, I want to say a month ago, launched something similar to Together Mode, but they're calling it Immersive Scenes. So all these vendors are taking a look at what they're doing and saying, oh, we'll add that as well. So I do think that they're raising the bar. And to your point, going back to what we're saying with stress, there might be professors said, no, this is the way I do it because it's less stressful for me, but they're going to have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And to me, it was always hypocritical if I wouldn't learn something new when I was telling the students, you need to learn something new. Like every student starts out in your class, at least I believe this, with an A plus, and it's up to them to keep it. But you also start out with a group of students that are all A plus students, and it's up to you to keep them up there. Hmm. This fallacy of failing everybody and putting them on a bell curve, that's so old technology. Like our kids have no idea what failure is. We have to build it in absolutely as professors. That's our job. Mm -hmm. But we also have to start thinking about how we can collaboratively mark. mark. Sorry, concussion head. But um, it's, it's always something you have to, in education and in the workplace, like think of, I always think of what we're in right now as the dark ages. And I really feel that we're going to start to come out into the renaissance very, very soon. Like we're seeing it in our kids. We're seeing it, how they're getting involved in things, how they're trying to solve problems. We need to step up things like mental health crisis. We need to step up healthcare just from a whole bunch of different reasons. Cause you can't keep someone in a house and protect them and not give them physical fitness. That, that's a whole thing we have to start looking at going to school or the act of walking to school is fitness. Talk to me a little bit about the digital wellness center. Oh, the Digital Wellness Center. Well, my whole purpose in life, as you know, if you've read the book after my horrible, awful, rotten year, is to help people heal so that nobody gets sick and hears that, oh, by the way, your organs are shutting down. We should probably start chemo now uh, when you just go in for an appointment. And um, the Digital Wellness Center is my innovation. I wasn't going to do it until 2022. But it's introducing the concept of mind breaks. It's the first wellness center based on science. It's the first wellness center designed for communication. And it's the first wellness center that offers you three minutes a break, three minutes a break in your day, like three times a week um, for three minutes a day. We're able to give you clarity and we use micro lessons. People are probably wondering why we're talking about education so much is because education is the foundation of relaxation. It's built on the concept that fight or flight, we're always in fight or flight when we collaborate and don't understand each other. Um, We talked about earlier, 80% of digital communication is misunderstood. And so that means for every 10 emails you're sending to someone or with someone, you only understand two. Then you have to waste your time going back Is and it forth. Up to that high, because my book came out in 2015, yep. and I remember that it was about half. It's really up to 80% now. Wow. It's up to 80%. But think about it. Like 
you know, when we were in 2015, we were really just getting into the world of virtual meetings and, you know, working at home full time or just going into the office part time. Now we're doing it all the time. And our emails have increased tenfold but from 2015. And what we're starting to see is then we have text messages and then we have Slack and then we have emojis and we have all these things. And each generation perceives that information differently. It's a problem. There's a Drew Barrymore movie that I never saw, but I did see a scene called, he's just not that into you. <laughs> she was explaining to her friend, Oh, I don't know if he likes me because I texted him and her back that he liked my Instagram, but he knew this is a Facebook and I was getting dizzy, but yeah. it's actually true because there are so many different ways. And I'm of the opinion and I actually coined this in, in my book, the three email rule after three, we talk. And it would always baffle me how someone would hit reply all. Really, the ninth message is going to make it clearer because the first eight didn't work, <laughs> right? You know, we do have phones and video conferences and prior to pandemics, the ability to meet in person. And I just would zone out when I would see a subject message, re, colon, re, colon, re, colon, just going, there has to be a better way. This is insane. There is a better way. And and you just, what you've said is right. Like three three tries are out, get out, just stop. And by the way, why are we hitting reply all? Like, does everybody in the world need to know? Or is it just so you're too damn lazy to go to the one arrow instead of the arrow you currently have it set at? Um, or are you trying to prove to people, right? I you're proving to people you're working. Yeah. Which again, if you think about working at home, I mean, yes, there's surveillance software, but we don't know if you're actually working. And even though you might have your status light in Slack to be green, we don't really know what you're doing. So I, I, I think we're still figuring things out. I think we are still in the first or the second inning of all this. Yeah. But, but we're starting so to promise, right? Absolutely. I, mean, I, see if, I see a hybrid future of work in the office two or yeah. three days a week right at home two or three days a week, because if you're coding or writing or heads down doing what Cal Newport calls deep work, the office is more of a distraction. But if we're brainstorming, right, if, if I'm teaching a class, if we're doing an exercise, right, if we need to be there for some sort of pep rally, that requires me to be present. What do you think? 100%. And I totally agree with deep work. But what we found is the problem is um, like typing for productivity. So you're showing, oh my God, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. And we used to worry about spelling. We used to worry about grammar. It was like when you had, if you had in your, I'm sure you did in your past life, that boss that called you at home at nine o'clock at night and you had to pick up the phone and he would rant and rave. And I'm saying he, cause basically they're all the bosses that we ever had. And, um, so you'd have to put up with that crap. Now you have to put up with idiots who are emailing you at 11 o'clock at night because it's convenient for them and they want to catch up on their work. Just stop. Like we list a whole bunch of rules of emailing and how to email. And um, on the, at the digital wellness, we give you a digital wellness policy. Go on there. Get it. You don't have to buy anything. You don't have to do anything. It's right at the bottom of the website. The digital wellness center was allowed to, was created to allow you to have deep thoughts. So what we do is it's based on the book, Assumption, Trust, Feedback, all these roadblocks. And I worked with physiologists and um, physiotherapists to design a quick little relax that you can learn and do in your chair and then get to your work and clear your mind. Your mind is 
um, very much like a, like I always say a bubble bath. Cause you know, I just like baths. And, you know, if, if you have a great bubble bath and it's perfect and you've got that great glass of wine and you're in there, you can't see your feet in the tub because there's so many bubbles. What you want to do is sort of clarify and clear those bubbles away. And once you do that, you have clarity of vision in terms of your feet. And in my case, that you probably need a pedicure. So what we try and do is clear all the bubbles from your mind and allow you to get back to the task at hand. On average, people are getting 115 emails a day. Of those, 40% have to answer to be answered. Then they're in four hours a day of emails, or sorry, in meetings. And they have less than, they have no time to get their work done. So they're working all these crazy hours. Let's just bring that to a halt. We did um, a test and we, we reported on this at the Michigan Academy in September, Michigan Academy of Arts and Sciences, um, that we did it with Microsoft. And we were able to demonstrate using the tactics in the Digital Wellness Center that if you used our desktop detoxes, which are done in your chair, because first of all, not everybody can get up from their chair, but also in my case with chronic leukemia, or if you have acute leukemia, you can't get out of a bed. You're very tired all the time. And so you want something that can be done in a chair that's not too active, but uses the principles of transient hyperfrontality to clear your mind and allow you to learn something new. Because what most people don't realize about um, learning is that it takes you out of fight or flight. And fight or flight is what we're all in when we're stressed and going to burnout. So long story short, the Digital Wellness Center helps you reduce that stress. It's based on the science of transient hyperfrontality, and it uses the principles I talk about in the book. People can sign up Quickly, it's $2.99 a month. It's not anything expensive. I didn't, I, I want it to be accessible to every single person because I know the damage we're doing to each other when we're not collaborating, when we don't understand each other. I know it better than most. I mean, I suffer from it. Hmm. Two quick thoughts I'm going to ask you about what book you're reading. First, okay. you're a freaking force of nature. I can only imagine what you would do <laughs> if you didn't have leukemia. I, oh, thank you. Ridiculous. And second, I'm pretty sure this is the first podcast in the history of the world to mention both Diana Ross and bubble baths. <laughs> yeah, I've <laughs> my two favorite things. Okay. And, you know, there may be a few other singers we haven't named, but we can get into those. Yeah, I'll get you out of here on this. I know you're an avid reader. I am. Give me, uh, give me a book re recommendation or two. What are you reading these days? How Not to Worry by Dale Carnegie. It's my seventh time that I have been reading it. Um, I'm one of those people that like good movies. I reread books I love. So How Not to Worry by Dale Carnegie was the book he wrote after How to Win Friends and Influence People, which is also on my constant reading list. And the reason is, if we go back to how we started this podcast, it's the simplicity of ideas and the absolute passion he brings to it. He talks about how in this book, he was stressed, how stress, how he almost lost his business when he overexpanded. He tells this amazing story. And then he tells the stories of other people and how stress and worry almost killed them. So when I realized that I was having trouble communicating, and I've been doing this for 20 plus years, I actually heard this book on my phone. And I thought, yeah, this makes great sense. 
And I started looking for other books on this area. And what you're going to find out is there's not a lot of books that talk about worry and stress and collaboration in the workforce. And that one was written, what, 1937 or 38? I can't remember. It's all related. Mary, this has been a blast. You stay safe. Thank you for taking the time. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, and how can you not, please download, like, or subscribe. Merci, gracias, obrigado to the producer of this podcast, podcastedition.com. You guys rock. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, and how can you not, please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time.